0: So for generations, colleges and universities have known how to handle violations like student plagiarism. They hold a sort of court, a tribunal, and they hand out penalties if warranted, suspension or expulsion. But what if the violation is something like sexual assault on campus? In that case, should it again be the school who is deciding who did what? and handing out the punishment, which might be expulsion or suspension? Or should the victims, is it preferable for the victims, advisable for the victims, to be going to the police and reporting a crime and seeking prosecution of their assailants, possibly for rape? Especially, however, knowing that that route so often results injustice denied. Well, because of what's happening right now on college campuses across the United States, this is a topical and lively debate, so let's have it right here. Yes or no to this statement? Courts not campuses should decide sexual assault cases. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We are at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. We have four superbly qualified debaters on our stage. As always, our debate goes in three rounds, and then our live audience here in New York votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Let's meet our debaters. Again, the motion. Courts not campuses, should be deciding sexual assault cases. Please welcome to the team arguing for the motion, Jeb Rubenfeld. And Jeb, you are a professor at Yale Law School. You publish uh, and write on constitutional and criminal law. You had a piece in the New York Times op-ed page that said that this should be a courtroom issue. At that time, you were uh, rebutted uh, in a statement by signed by 80 Yale Law students. Does that honestly represent, do you feel, uh, the majority view among students on this issue?
1: I actually don't think so, no. But look, this is an issue that everybody feels very strongly and personally about. Um, I'm the father of two uh, girls on college campuses. I feel strongly about it, too. That's why it's so important to have um, debates like this one.
0: And we will. And tell us who your partner is, please. My partner is
1: professor of... uh, of law at uh, Harvard University, Jeannie Suk.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Jeannie Suk. So, so Jeannie, as Jeb says, Jeb says you're a professor at Harvard Law, which is also um, having, um, you know, wrestling with this issue, and you were among 28 Harvard Law professors who issued a statement opposing the university's new policy and procedures on sexual violence. Now, without getting into your argument yet, just share with us. Why this is an issue, do you think, on which smart people can disagree so passionately?
2: They feel very personally about it. It's also very political for them, and it's also about the institutions that they inhabit. So that's a recipe for very strong feelings and very strong disagreements.
0: Some of which I think will come out tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Janie Sook and the team arguing for the motion. And that motion, again, is courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. We have two debaters arguing against it. Please welcome, first, Michelle Anderson. Um, Michelle Anderson, you are a dean at CUNY School of Law and a leading scholar on rape law. Right now, you are working with the Department of Defense, trying actually to help the Department of Defense define rape, which it might be a surprise to some people to know that that Rape needs a definition, but does that reveal how complex this issue is?
3: I think it does. Over the past decade, the Uniform Code of Military Justice has had three versions of a definition of rape and sexual assault. So this is a very complex issue. And your partner is? Uh, The brilliant Stephen Schulhofer.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Schulhofer. (laughs) Steve, you're a professor at the New York University School of Law. You're the author of Unwanted Sex considered one of the most important books on rape law in the last 20 years. Um, We're going to be hearing the term Title IX a lot tonight. It's important to the debate. So do us the favor, taking us through two sentences to explain why Title IX is relevant to this debate.
4: Sure. Title IX is the federal law that requires colleges and universities that receive federal funds to prevent racial and sexual harassment of their students. And that's why colleges have an obligation to address racial and sexual violence against students on their campuses.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing against the motion, which is courts, not campuses, to decide sexual assault cases. Let's move on to round one. Round one are opening statements by each debater in turn. Our motion is this courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. And first, to go up to the lectern, I'd like to welcome Jed Rubenfeld. He is the Robert R. Slaughter Professor of Law at Yale Law School. He is arguing for the motion courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. Ladies and gentlemen, Jed Rubenfeld.
1: One of my daughters is a college sophomore. Uh, The other just started law school. I'm very concerned about keeping our campuses safe from sexual assault. That's a goal that everyone on this stage shares. But the way to achieve that goal is not by having colleges conduct rape trials when they're incompetent to do it. As the result of campus sexual assault trials, actual rapists all over the country are going free to rape again, while innocent people... It's Impossible to know how many, but I'm talking about people who haven't committed any sexual assault at all, are uh, being found guilty and having their lives wrecked by an error-ridden, unreliable process that's filled with conflicts of interest and violations of due process, all of it covered by a thick layer of non-transparency. Let me start with competence. The primary forensic tool in a rape case, you've probably heard of it, It's, it's a rape kit. It's basically a A medical forensic examination of the victim. Now, most college personnel don't even know what a rape kit is. Or say a woman believes she was the victim of a date rape drug. That kind of case requires a laboratory toxicology. Most colleges do not run such laboratories. A recent college rape case was decided by a panel of three judges. One person from engineering, one from food services, and one foreign exchange student. In another case, an accused male student was essentially acquitted not because he was found innocent, but because he broke down at the hearing and admitted his alcoholism problem. At Stanford, the teaching manual for rape judges includes an article saying if the accused acts as if he's the victim, that's an indicator of guilt. Another indicator of guilt is if he, quote, acts logical and persuasive. This kind of... I'm not kidding. This kind of incompetent decision-making is leading to miscarriages of justice of a kind you wouldn't imagine in America. In our courts, we have a process we've worked on for centuries to ensure that our judges and juries are disinterested, that they don't know the parties, don't know anybody who does know the parties. In college rape trials, it's the opposite. These are people from the same community. They are subject to pressures. They sometimes know the parties. They sometimes know people who do know the parties. In some cases, colleges have a huge incentive to... Sweep rape cases under the rug to, to cover them up. In other cases, it's the opposite. Compare this to what happens when a murder takes place on a college campus. We don't hold campus homicide trials. We all expect the police, the DA, the FBI, and the courts to take charge. Rape is a crime as serious as homicide. But worst of all, I haven't even gotten to the worst thing of all. What happens when the college rape trial works just the way it's supposed to work, when an actual rapist is found guilty? What happens next? They expel the student but keep his identity a total secret because the college process, unlike a court, has no transparency. It's all covered with confidentiality, and I can't stress how important this is. And in the end, it's not courts or colleges, one or the other. That's a kind of debating artificiality. We all know that both have a role to play, but the primary responsibility for investigating and trying rape cases has to be with police and courts. That's what we're asking you to vote for, and we urge you, thank you. to vote. Thank you. Thank uh, you, Jed.
0: I'm sorry your time is up. I gave you, I gave you a little bit over, but uh, thank you. The motion is courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases, and our next debater will be speaking against this motion. Please welcome Michelle Anderson. She is dean at Cooney School of Law. Ladies and gentlemen, Michelle Anderson.
3: Courts should decide sexual assault cases when a victim reports to the police, when the police take it seriously and investigate, and the case finally lands in a court of law. In those circumstances, courts should decide sexual assault cases. No one disagrees. The only thing this debate is about is between two commas, not campuses. The resolution strips jurisdiction from campuses to also decide sexual assault cases. That's what we're talking about tonight. Now, colleges and universities exist to generate and transmit knowledge, and they cannot do that job unless they have a safe learning environment in which to do it. My colleague Steven Schulhofer will talk about the problems that happen when cases are pushed to the criminal law involuntarily. For now, I'll just note that there's a reason why 95% of sexual assault victims on campus never report to the police. They do not believe that justice will be served. The fact is that bias against victims of sexual assault has a well-documented 200-year history in the criminal justice system. But even when the system harbors no bias whatsoever, campuses must be able to decide sexual assault cases. Courts and campuses have different interests in these cases and different remedies. When a campus sexual assault happens, a victim needs immediate safety and protection. Campuses can take protective measures to ensure a safe educational environment. Stagger classes, move someone from a dorm, uh, issue reprimands, suspend students. These remedies are not available in the court. The university's role is unavoidable because campuses must preserve students' ability to learn Since the early part of the 19th century, colleges and universities have always disciplined students, independent of the criminal law, and colleges cannot wait around to see if the police are interested in a case. In 2013, a college fraternity hazing ritual in Pennsylvania ended in the death of a pledge by blunt force trauma to the head. The coroner ruled the death a homicide, but the prosecutor did not pursue charges until Monday, almost two years later. Now, the university had an independent interest in the case. It pursued immediate disciplinary action against the students who hazed and killed the other student, and it suspended them. Now, fraternity hazing and homicide are serious crimes, just like rape is a serious crime. But no one in that case said, oh, the court should be the only one to handle the case. The colleges should get out of the way. Now, I want to end by noting that this debate resolution is actually worse than the House Republican bill that is pending right now in Congress, with the Orwellian title, the Safe Campus Act. That bill would prohibit campuses from investigating sexual assault unless the victim reports to the police, and it's being heavily promoted by fraternities. The American Council on Education has expressed grave reservation about any legislation that would limit our ability to ensure a safe campus. The effect of this resolution is to eviscerate colleges' ability to ensure a safe campus. It would also violate students' civil rights, and it has to be wrong. Please vote no. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Michelle Anderson. I'm John Donvan. We'll be back with more of round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate in just a moment. And a reminder of what's going on, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two against two, fighting it out over this motion. Courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. Debating for this motion, we're welcoming Jeannie Suk, professor of law at Harvard Law School. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeannie Suk.
2: I think it's important for us to see that tonight's debate is not just about courts versus campuses, and it's not just about sexual assault. It is a debate about the equality of men and women in our society. What campuses are doing under pressure from the Department of Education is hurting the cause of gender equality. Campus tribunals use procedures that lack basic fairness and often reach inaccurate outcomes. What happens You're told there's a sexual misconduct complaint against you, but they don't say what it's about or show you the complaint. They don't tell you the evidence or the facts that they're gathering, who the witnesses are, or what they've said. If you're allowed to bring an attorney, which you might not be, your lawyer is barred from speaking. If they give you a live hearing, which they may not, you can't question the accuser or witnesses. People who weren't even there are asked to give opinions on what happened. After you're found responsible and suspended, they don't give you a copy of the investigative report saying that they can't because of student privacy. The investigation and the adjudication may be handled by the same person, and the appeal is to that person's boss, so everyone is invested in defending the previous actions of the school. In just the past three months, no fewer than five different courts have ruled for students on claims that their school used unfair procedures, including things that I've just described. The shocking disregard for what Americans know are essentials of fair process deeply harms the cause of taking sexual violence seriously. It reinforces society's skepticism toward rape victims. It causes everyone to doubt that men disciplined for sexual assault are actually guilty, To make matters worse, many schools are now stretching the concept of what sexual assault is far beyond reasonable recognition. If you have sexual contact without an explicit agreement for every stage of a sexual interaction, that might be considered non-consensual. It's obvious that sex with a person incapacitated by alcohol is rape. That is obvious. But schools are now disciplining students when the sexual contact is under the influence of alcohol. All this means that most sexual encounters are violating the rules. So when one person is kicked out for this and branded a rapist, it feels arbitrary. Watered-down procedures and overly broad definitions of non-consent make a mockery of a very serious problem and dishonor victims. Our opponents must convince you that a rape on campus is different from a rape anywhere else. It is not. Criminal sexual conduct anywhere deserves criminal response. And our opponents want you to accept that a civil rights option means that it's okay to have lesser procedures. The safety measures that Michelle was talking about, those do not necessarily go hand in hand with an investigation and adjudication, a decision about the responsibility and guilt of a party for committing a crime. You can take safety measures, and campuses do all the time, without having pseudo-criminal trials. Campuses should not do shoddily what our courts have been designed over generations to do. You should vote for the motion. Courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases.
0: Thank you, Jeannie Sok. And that is the motion. Courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. And here... Making his statement against the motion is Stephen Schulhofer. He is the Robert B. McKay Professor of Law at New York University School of Law. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Schulhofer. Thank, Thank you very much.
4: Um, courts are certainly finding due process violations all over the place. A lot of colleges have really botched this problem. But I'm very surprised to hear Professor Souk cite that as a reason for precluding campus discipline in all these cases. We don't shut down the criminal courts just because appellate courts are finding due process violations in criminal trials, and that happens a lot. The question that we're debating is whether to fix the problem by requiring the colleges to do better or whether to prevent all campuses from deciding these cases, no matter how careful they are. Taking away the option of a campus remedy is obviously bad for sexual assault victims. I don't think there's any possible question about that. And what people are missing here is that sending all these cases to the criminal courts is going to work out very badly for the accused students as well. Suppose a student claims that one of her classmates pushed her onto a sofa, ignored her protests, and penetrated her. The resolution seems to assume that a criminal conviction requires very clear proof. The reality is actually not so reassuring. Victim testimony no longer requires any corroboration or any proof of physical coercion. If the complainant testifies that she said no and the jury believes her, that's enough. That is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Most criminal cases end in a plea bargain. And one reason is that a rape conviction can mean more than 15 years in prison. If the prosecutor will accept a plea to attempted rape or sexual contact, the sentence drops to only a year or two in jail. So technically, you can't get a criminal conviction on a mere preponderance of the evidence. But if the odds of a 15-year sentence are 50-50, that becomes a pretty strong reason to plead guilty to the lesser offense. And bingo! The student who might have faced discipline in a college proceeding, that student is now getting jail time and a criminal record without having any court, hear any evidence at all. What about less serious cases? Suppose a young man stares at a sophomore in his calculus class and he keeps making comments about her body. One day, he grabs her butt in the hallway outside of class. That is sexual assault. But sending a contact case like that to the police normally means complete inaction. It's not clear to me what the supporters of this resolution have in mind. When you put thousands of adolescents together with raging hormones, poor judgment, and easy access to alcohol, some of them are going to be rude and aggressive. And how exactly is a college supposed to respond to stupid, boorish behavior which is going to happen. Could the college suspend the student for his rude comments because that's not a crime, but not be allowed to suspend him for actually groping her? That doesn't make any sense. And I haven't even mentioned sex offender registration. People assume these laws only apply to predators who abuse little children, but they cover all sex offenses, even low-level misdemeanors. So this resolution would be a disaster, not only for colleges, but for accused students. They would get less due process in the criminal courts, and we'd see more convictions with consequences far more severe than a college disciplinary record. So that's why it's very important to vote against this resolution. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Stephen Schulhofer, And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. Now we move on to round two. Round two is where the debaters address one another directly and take questions from me and from you, the members of our live audience here in New York City. The team arguing for the motion, Jed Rubenfeld and Jeannie Suk, have argued that campuses just are not up to the task. They are not competent. They are not transparent. They are not impartial. They tend to want to sweep these issues under the rug. That they water down procedures, um, and that sexual assault is essentially losing its meanings as under college uh, juridical processes. The team arguing against the motion, Michelle Anderson and Steven Schulhofer, have told us that um, first of all, the courts have been terrible historically in adjudicating cases of rape, regardless of whether the victim is a college student or not. Also, however, the colleges have responsibility to guarantee equality of education for their students, and that sexual assault is a form of discrimination, therefore is illegal, therefore is the college's business. I want to go to the team arguing against the motion, um, and, and I found something missing that I expected your argument to include, which was, tell us If in any way a college adjudication process actually has advantages for the victim over uh, the court system, is in what way is it more victim-focused or more victim-friendly, if you will, Michelle Anderson? um
3: the main advantage for victims for the campus process is immediate process or fairly rapid prompt process, and also a variety of remedies that are otherwise not available in court. So I emphasize that they can uh, immediately change uh, uh, class schedules or move someone out of a dorm, essentially separating people who uh, where, where there's an allegation of sexual assault, and uh, they can do the kind of remedies that courts can't engage in.
0: Okay, so those those sound like real things. Uh, Jeannie Sook?
2: Yes, those are real things in terms of moving class schedules and dorm arrangements. Actually, colleges are doing that even before the adjudication investigation are completed. And I think that that shows you it's not connected to whether the college is then going to have a, an investigation, a trial, a tribunal, and go through that whole... I have whole, to say...
4: Jeannie, I'm I'm sorry to jump in here, but I have to say I'm very confused about this. If I'm living in a dorm and I don't like my roommate, I can't go to the college and say, I want this person kicked out of the dorm. You have to have a reason for that. And colleges can't be requiring a student to drop a chemistry class or move out of his dorm or leave campus for a semester unless they decide that there was a reason.
2: People do have disputes, like you're talking about, in their dorms. They do go to their resident advisor and say I'm having a problem and sometimes they're brought in to have a mediation to have a talk to resolve and they could the colleges can advise and guide and actually the department of education says when it comes to these sexual misconduct matters that's not even allowed you have to go through some kind of adjudicative process to decide the guilt of the party.
0: Let's let Michelle Anderson come in.
2: Sure. Well,
3: I guess I'm just wondering why is sexual assault any different than any other offense that's committed on campus? In other words, the, these these kinds of offenses routinely go through adjudicative processes, and, and, and there's no reason to pull sexual assault as opposed to any number of other kinds of cases and say, well, that particular one has to go to the criminal courts, but the hazing case that led to the death of a student or the plagiarism case or an assault case those can be adjudicated through a disciplinary process that is routine.
0: Jed Rubenfeld.
1: Well, I don't think that's a fair characterization, Michelle. Look, it's really rare, really rare to have colleges adjudicate a homicide. That almost never happens. It's really rare. Almost never happens for colleges to try and adjudicate an an act of arson. Plagiarism, yes, of course. Colleges are good at that. They know about that. Hazing hazing fraternity stuff, that's a college problem. makes sense for colleges to deal with hazing. But we are talking about treating rape very differently through this Title IX process, not treating it the same. Treat it the same would be an expectation that the police... And the courts and the DAs and the FBI come in and investigate this. And I, do, I need to say one more thing about our resolution. For some reason, the other side is trying to characterize the resolution before you as barring colleges from doing anything about this, barring them from uh, 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 hearing these kind of claims. We're not talking about barring them. As John said at the beginning of this debate, the question before you, is it preferable for courts to be deciding? And in an ideal world, if, if colleges could do it just as well, fine. Professor Rubenfeld really lost me there completely
4: because if all, the, all that you're arguing in favor of is that courts should do it but you're not opposed to campuses doing it, I don't understand your opening remarks with all the criticism of the lack of due process and the conflicts of interest and everything else. We acknowledge that that happens and we think it should be fixed. And we think they, they not only they do have a business, they must deal with a situation where, for example, uh, a student in our chemistry lab keeps getting groped by someone at the next lab table. They have to deal with that, and it's not desirable to send that case to a criminal court.
1: Look, by sexual assault, this term I understand to mean rape, okay? What I've said throughout all of my arguments, and this is what Jeannie was saying too, is those are the cases the courts should be trying, not campuses. If campuses want to have a code against offensive touching... Sexual misconduct, sexual harassment. Sure, those are things that that, that, that campuses could do well, and, 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 and they should be able to do that. We are talking about sexual assault here. Let's not expand that term so that it means all kinds of thing, other things and, and confuse the issue.
0: Well, that's a, that's a good point I want to take to your, to your opponents because uh, Jeannie Sook made the case that the, the, the definition of sexual assault is is being trivialized almost to the point of meaningless by making it so broad. And it's, a, it's an interesting, intriguing point. I want to see if either of you would like to take it on.
4: Well, sure. I think first, I don't, I don't want to quibble about terminology or cite a statute, but any criminal lawyer will tell you that if a young woman on the subway is growing groped uh, in the butt or in the breasts, uh, un- unwanted touching like that is a sexual assault. There is no a question about and that. And it's a
0: crime. That is a crime. She could go to the cops.
4: She could go to the so cops. So why,
0: why do you think that the campus should be set up with the option of adjudicating that rather right. than having that victim go That's to the police? That's a terrific
4: question, John. It's a terrific question, and it's crucial to all of this because... In, on campus, you're talking about the victim's ability to pursue her education in a safe environment. And if the person who's, you know, on the subway, you can get off the subway, and hopefully in a city of 8 million people, you won't see the person again.
0: All right, but your but opponents if he's in are— in
4: your chemistry class—
0: Right, but your opponents are saying that, that, the, that campuses are just not equipped to actually adjudicate what would, in that setting would be a crime, that they don't have the professionalism to hear a case, they don't have the, the legal safeguards, they don't have the due process, they don't have transparency. They have conflicts of interest, that having a sort of campus type of tribunal for that crime is a mess. Yes,
4: well, so I think you summarized their argument accurately, and I think it's a straw man, complete Why? straw man. Why? Because conflicts are in, of interest are intolerable, they should never be permitted, and the courts are striking them down. But we shouldn't because of a few colleges or many colleges mishandling these cases, we shouldn't say that no
0: colleges should ever do it. So they're saying it's, only, it's, it's, the, ex, it's the exception or, at a minimum, the problems that are there, okay, they're real, but they're, they're addressable. It is,
2: it is not in any way the exception. The conflicts of interest, though, that we're talking about are not just one-off conflicts of interest. We're talking about structural conflict of interests, where we're talking about a Title IX officer who is charged with compliance with the Department of Education's dictates, and they're thinking, oh, my God, am I going to have my school have funding taken away? Or even if they're not ultimately going to have funding taken away, if, say, I, if there's just- an investigation against the school, then that's going to cost us hundred, several hundred thousand dollars to even just deal with, even if at the end of the day it's... So when you're thinking like that, how can you be... Neutral about the guilt or innocence, or about the facts of what Can happened. Can I just ask but whether
3: but we, have,
0: let's, we haven't heard from Michelle sure. in a bit? Michelle, sure. please. Michelle so
2: the the question of the incentive
3: structure that that um, campuses face right now, I think, is an important one. Historically, before the Department of Education strongly encouraged, mandated that campuses get involved in these cases. The incentives for campuses were to sweep these cases under the rug. Let's not, we don't want the bad publicity, let's put it under the rug. Today, however, the incentive structure is very different. The Department of Education mandates that campuses get involved. However, on the other side, you've got all of these claims brought by accused students indica- claiming that their due process rights were violated. That's powerful incentive the other way. Way to provide due process. So you have two kinds of incentives on both sides, and that will lead to more equitable and fair outcomes.
1: Well, I, I think Michelle's exactly right. We've seen an era when colleges, the big incentive was to sweep them under the, rugs, uh, under the rug. Now the incentive has changed. That is not the way, as Jeannie is saying, to get conflicts of interest out of a process. That's the way to inject conflict of interest into a process. You don't want to give colleges an incentive to find a certain way. And you can't say, well, now they've got pressures on both sides and it'll come out fine. No, two conflicts of interest don't equal impartiality.
3: So, so what's the alternative, Jed? So, 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 the alternative, so the alternative is the era before where, where campuses swept these cases under the rug. What's the alternative? It, sending these cases, pulling these cases out alone and saying, if it were rape, That needs to go to the criminal court. But if it were sexual misconduct or groping or sexual assault, then campuses can adjudicate that. How does that make even sense?
0: I'm John Donvan. Questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion. Courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. Okay, let's go to some questions. Right there.
3: Hi, I'm Alex. So about the groping question, I'm just curious. So we've all watched Mad Men, I'm sure, and we know that in the 1950s and 60s, women didn't have a lot of up, up, outlets within the organizations within they worked for groping, things like that, sexual assault, that in reality, most women are not going to go to the criminal system. Most women have been sexually harassed, sexually assaulted in smaller ways like that. So I was just wondering, I think that from, from my perspective, the workplace is a better comparison to school than the subway, because the subway, you can walk away, you're not going to see that person again, etc So I was just wondering if there's anything that we could learn from what's happened from the madman era to now with sexual harassment cases in the workplace,
2: that we could apply to this? I think there's a ton to learn. Can you if this happened in the workplace, the federal law called Title VII would provide a way for that person to sue their employer for failing to prevent or to address a hostile work environment. Now, Title IX also is a law that one could use to sue one's school for failing to address a hostile environment. Now, there are many ways to address a hostile environment. Do they all involve uh, an investigation and an adjudication and a kind of tri- tribunal like that? No. There are many ways to do the, do the work that an educational institution, consistent with its pedagogical mission, to educate its students, to nurture them, to promote a kind of culture where sexual harassment is not considered acceptable.
4: APPLAUSE um. Well, I, I, I must say, uh, in, in, and I um, appreciate the, the response that, that resonates with the audience, but I must say that in the workplace, we don't just say, well, the employer has to hold sensitivity training for his employees. Um, if, the, if, in fact, there was groping, then the employee did it, has to be disciplined, and no employer can't get away with uh, his responsibility by just saying, I'm going to ramp up my sensitivity training. And I think your question is excellent because it is exactly analogous. Unlike the subway situation, the woman who's trying to pursue a career in the workplace cannot do that in a safe environment if she's subject to that kind of misbehavior, and there has to be a remedy. Uh, And there can't be a remedy without deciding what happened. We can't allow uh, a woman or a man to say, this person's sexually harassing me, so get rid of him. We can't just, and this is where I part company with our opponents, I totally am unable to understand how they can say that schools can take action and and, uh, impose remedies without deciding whether the allegations ever happened or not.
2: My name's Rachel, and I was wondering, um, which adjudicatory process do you believe would have more have a more successful rate of deterrence against sexual assault?
0: Wow, what a great question. That's a great question. Let's go to this first. Take it to, uh, to uh, Jed Rubenfeld.
1: Well, thanks for that great question. As you can guess, my answer is going to be the courts, <laughs> because it is very hard to deter people from serious crimes if you slap them on the wrist for doing it. And uh, being told to write a paper or even a suspension, that's a slap on the wrist. Now, expulsion is a serious penalty, but if you keep that a secret... And it's non-transparent. That is not the way you deter sexual assault. i got to add, mediation. You have to understand this goes to the work-related question before. Title IX has forced us to not do—we're barred from doing mediation. What would grown-ups do with a groping allegation? Grown-ups at a school, they'd bring the parties in, get them to agree. You're not going to do this anymore. You agree, right? If you break this agreement, you will be subject to penalties. They agree. That's called mediation. No, we can't do that anymore because Title IX, Jed, the, I, the I wanna, I, us I, not to. I'm going
0: to stop you because I want to keep just uh, – give the other chance, uh, side a chance to focus on the question that was asked and you had moved on a little bit. So what about the question, Michelle Anderson?
3: So the criminal justice system is designed to deter generally. Um, I think the, the, the goals of the campus adjudicatory system are very different. And I don't think they have the goal of large uh, general deterrence. I think they have the goal of individual assessment of the facts and trying to match a, a remedy that fits whatever happened. Um, and I also think that the criminal justice system wildly over uh, plays its hand uh, uh, in its and its far too incarcerate and punitive.
0: All right. I'm going to go to another question right there.
2: Thank you so much. Um, what a great debate. Um, my name is Georgian Leithold, and I direct the Legal Center at Sanctuary for Families. Um, we're a large provider of services to victims of domestic violence. Um, and I want to tell you what we're seeing in the campus cases we're I, handling. I, I, First of all, I, I, we're seeing...
0: I really... I need you to get to the question. I'm
2: getting to the question I right now. I need the question
0: to be okay right now. Okay. Yeah. So, the, so, question. We're seeing...
2: Sexual assault, real rape, but we're also seeing time lags before the report. No rape kits. And we're seeing the victim not wanting to see the perpetrator jailed. And that makes it very, very problematic for a criminal proceeding that requires all of Ma'am, I need you to ask the
0: question. So my question
2: is, if student victims in these situations don't have the option of campus tribunals, how will they get protection? How will they get safety? I think that they can get safety through – if if we didn't have these tribunals, they would have safety through the school's reasonable measures that they could take, that they take all the time. They take them even without going through the tribunals. They just impose them depending on their individualized assessment of what the safety of the campus requires. That does not mean what we need is a system, a shadow justice system that is operating – In schools,
0: Stephen.
4: Yes, I I think that question really goes to the heart of one major difficulty with the proponents' position. Many, many victims do not want to force the case into the criminal process. It's not that they they will be satisfied; they think a slap on the wrist is better. But you know, they have a classmate who's immature, who's kind of boorish. They don't want to ruin that person's life, but they want protection. And the criminal justice system is a sledgehammer. Let's not kid ourselves. This is no joke. We're not talking about going from a slap on the wrist to, uh, I don't know, a, a pinch on the cheek or something like that. We're talking about going from a slap on the wrist to a sledgehammer. We're talking about ruining, literally, not just expulsion but sex offender registration for the rest of the person's life. And many victims, not only do they not want to put themselves through that process, which is one reason why they wouldn't report, but they also don't want to put their classmate through that process, so they won't report. And it comes back to the question that the other uh, person asked a few minutes ago, how will you get the best prevention? If you have a system with tremendous disincentives for a victim to report, then nothing will be done, and that doesn't serve anybody's interest.
0: We're going to sum up this round with what we are calling our two-minute volley round. This is a special exercise in which the debaters are asked to compress their comments to 30 seconds in the answer to one question. Which system ultimately will result or is resulting in the greatest amount of justice done? I want to go to this side first. Which of you would like to go first?
4: I'll start. I think there's absolutely no question that you'd get more justice and better results if victims have an, uh, options and if society itself has a mix of remedies and a mix of ways to responding more moderately or more severely, depending on all the circumstances. And it doesn't serve anybody's interest to have an either-or situation where either nothing happens or a ton of bricks comes down on somebody's
1: head. Your time is up. This side. The courts have the uh, competence, the impartiality, the neutrality uh, 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 to do this properly. That's where you get justice. Nobody's talking about barring the uh, schools from doing anything. The question is, and I'd like you to send this message, that courts should be the ones deciding these cases because that's that's the institution we've built up for 200 years to do justice, and it's not happening in a conflict of interest-ridden and error-ridden process.
3: We've got 200 years of history where the courts and the police have not taken sexual assault seriously. And the notion notion that closing off an option for victims and forcing them to go to a system that is beholden to different interests and disinterested in equality, disinterested in their civil rights, and disinterested in their ability to maintain their schooling, it's not a recipe for justice. Today, if you have an acquaintance rape situation and you don't have some uh, physical evidence of harm, you get nowhere.
2: I think that um, it is clear that the idea that schools are more interested in justice for victims, that they're more interested in their well-being, that they're more interested in the correct outcomes, that is absurd. Schools are entrenched in conflicts of interest in all kinds of problems, in different loyalties, to different entities, their alumni, to their current students, different political forces, and our court system. Hey, it's really flawed. We know that. But that is what it's designed to do, to try to sort these out.
0: And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. And now we move on to round three. Round three, closing statements from each debater in turn. Our motion again. Courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. And here to make his closing statement, Jed Rubenfeld, professor at Yale Law School.
1: Thank you. Um, Many of you probably remember the case I'm about to mention to you, the Duke lacrosse case. That was when a woman uh, accused three lacrosse players, uh, falsely, it turned out, of raping her at a house party. What was the university reaction? to those false rape accusations. It was panic. The coach was immediately fired, suspensions. Everyone called for the expulsion of the accused students. 88 Duke professors placed an ad calling uh, 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 that rape a disaster. All around the country, there was a rush to judgment, a presumption of guilt. Television legal commentator Nancy Grace vilified those who even considered the possibility that a woman might lie about being a victim of gang rape. The local prosecutor, too, was taken in. It took the police and the courts and due process to prove that the rape accusation was a fabrication. How did we find out it was false? We found out because the toxicology and forensic evidence disproved the accuser's claims. We found out because there was transparency and professional evidence gathering and procedural fairness. Had the accuser reported only to school authorities... And had that case been tried on campus behind closed doors, it's a good bet that those lacrosse players would have been promptly expelled and had their lives ruined with no way to vindicate themselves. But that case happened in 2007, before all this stuff got going, so that's not what happened. The students were lucky. Their case went to court. Now, I'm not saying that such cases happen every day, and I'm not saying our courts are perfect or our police are perfect. We've got to do better. We have to encourage these cases to go to court, through the police, to get justice. I would just ask you to bear that kind of case in mind tonight when you vote on the resolution that courts should be
0: uh, the place where rape cases are tried. Thank you, Jed Rubenfeld. And that's the motion. Courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. And here to make his closing statement against the motion, Stephen Schulhofer, pres- a professor of New York University Law School.
4: The trouble with that Duke example is, is the claim that if they had been expelled, they would have had no way to vindicate themselves. There are cases all over the country that are overturning expulsions that are uh, based on botched uh, procedures. So there are remedies, and there will be remedies. But one of the worst tendencies in American society today is to turn to the criminal justice system as the all-purpose solution for every social problem. Almost everybody who works in that system, no matter which side they're on agrees that we have to reduce the reach of the criminal law. We have to be diverting cases away from the criminal law. And that's especially true of sex offenses because even a misdemeanor contact offense means sanctions that are much, much too harsh and much too inflexible. So I remember vividly, my children aren't in college anymore, but I remember the feelings that I had as a parent when they were. Nobody wants to get a call from a daughter saying she's been sexually assaulted. Nobody wants to get a call from a son saying he's been accused of sexual assault. But God forbid, if you did get a call like that from your daughter, wouldn't you want her to have options for redress on campus? Would you really prefer her to say that her only option was either to go to the police or drop out of school? That's not even a close question. And what what if your son called to say he'd been unfairly accused? Any parent would dread getting that call. But if it happens which call would be more horrible? Your son might say, Mom, I've been accused of sexual assault, and I might even get expelled or suspended from school. That's a nightmare. But would you prefer to hear your son say, Mom, the DA down here is prosecuting me for rape? If that's what you would prefer, you should vote for this resolution. But any parent who knows the criminal justice system knows that uh, taking a campus tribunal and the risk— of possible campus sanctions, they would take that in a heartbeat. So we desperately need to rein in the. Okay, Stephen
0: Schulhofer, I'm sorry, your time is up. Thank you very much. And the motion is: courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. And here to summarize her position supporting this motion, Jeannie Suk, professor at Harvard Law School.
2: Let me close by sharing with you a worry that we haven't really talked about yet tonight: the trampling of fair process, which we see all over on campuses should give us concern about the disproportionate impact on students of color. I have personally seen time and again allegations arising from the kinds of cases I was talking about, the ambivalence, the ambiguity, or misunderstanding about consent. They fall on minorities and poor students. And many others working on these cases have told me that this is a campus secret nobody wants to talk about. Think about a non-transparent campus process as opposed to a transparent public hearing um, without procedural safeguards behind closed doors where unconscious bias can flourish. These are perfect conditions for biases and fears to reach inaccurate outcomes. One college administrator told me that what keeps him up at night is panic that his school could be one Department of Education investigation away from institutional death. That makes it impossible for him to consider what's fair and what's right. Campuses must respond to sexual assault. The vote tonight, though, asks you to say whether shadow campus rape tribunals to de- to decide responsibility and guilt are a solution. Colleges have lost their way because of the impossible position that the federal government have, has put schools in. I'm sure officials from the Department of Education know about tonight's debate, and school administrators are watching too. You have a chance to send a message about how you feel about these tribunals that have been generated under this kind of fear. Vote for the motion not just because you care about fairness and process, but because you care about victims and about safety and about effective responses sexual assault.
0: Jeannie Sook, I'm sorry, your time is up. Thank you very much. Our motion is courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. And here to make her closing statement against the motion, Michelle Anderson, Dean at Cooney School of Law.
3: Two quick responses. One, if you're concerned about racial justice and racial disparity, it flourishes in the criminal justice system. Do you really want to send these cases there? Two, if you're concerned about transparency, the plea bargaining system, which 60 to 90 percent, depending on uh, which uh, percentages you look at in the studies, an overwhelming majority of cases end up plea bargained. Those processes are non-transparent. I am the dean of a law school, so I spend a lot of time thinking about how to lead a complex institution and how to provide students with a safe environment. Put yourself in the shoes of a campus administrator a shaken student comes to you and explains that she's failing chemistry because a student gropes her breasts after weekly labs. She's deeply distraught, and she tells you she doesn't want to go to the police. Now, under this resolution, you have to tell her, I'm sorry if he stole your lab homework... Or if he punched you in your face, I could investigate. I could switch him to a different lab section, or I could have him suspended, or send him to a different dorm, or have him expelled. But since he sexually assaulted you, our hands are tied. You have to report to the police. Good luck. No. You want to tell that student, I'm sorry this happened to you. If you change your mind and decide you want to report to the police, we will support you every step of the way. But in any case, we will investigate. And if we have enough evidence, we will take remedial steps to protect you. And we'll try everything in our power to get this resolved this semester. This debate is about equality. It's about what it means to have equal access to education when one student harms another. The only way to protect students' civil rights to an equal education is to allow the campus to act to stop sexual assault and protect student safety. Vote no on this resolution.
0: Thank you, you, Michelle Anderson. And that concludes our closing statements. So, I have the results now. Once again, the motion is this courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases. Again, it's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines who is our winner. Let's take a look at the first vote. On the motion that courts, not campuses, should decide sexual assault cases before the debate, 56% of you agreed with this motion, 12% were against. were undecided. That's the first vote. Let's look at the second vote. The team arguing for the motion, their second vote was 56%. They did not move up or down in their position. So the zero percentage point move is the number to beat. So it comes down... (laughs) Well, it's going to come down to what the undecideds decided to do. Did they stay undecided or not? Let's look at the second vote. The team against the motion, their first vote was 12%. Their second vote was 31%. They pulled up 19 percentage points. The team against the motion is declared our winner. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosenkrantz is chairman. Taylor Quimby and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the engineer. Clea Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa, director of research. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit us at iq2us.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, Van Greenfield, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Nemeth and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, Profit Capital Asset Management, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, and Daniel H. Stern. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you.